We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna. We got better yesterday because we were able to get my brother. One thing I know about him, he's probably the most, um, you know, football is such a passion for him. Nobody works harder than my brother. He's, he's prepared, you know, as well as any coach in the league, and he's an outstanding coach. So, uh, that you know, like I said, we got better yesterday. Hey, everybody, how's it going? This is Drew Gear, and that's Chris Kruger producing, and welcome to the Rock Pile Report. So, you heard it straight from Rex Ryan's mouth on his interview with Mike and Mike from ESPN. He says that the Buffalo Bills got better this week with the addition of about 400 pounds in the form of his brother as a defensive assistant head coach and defensive whatever you call someone who has the coach's ear but isn't the coordinator. It's like <laughs> They had to do some shuffling of the coaching staff to try to make room for him. And no, that wasn't a fat joke because that's too easy. I'm not sure how I feel. Chris, where, where do you fall on this? I hate it. I'm sorry. We can just have one Brian. We don't need two, let alone the former Saints coordinator who anchored the worst defense possibly ever in NFL history. Okay, hang on on a second, though. My first note here was that anybody blaming Rob Ryan for the Saints defense needs to take a look at the fact that after he got fired, they didn't get better. They got worse. It's not like Dennis they, Allen. It's not like they met. It's not like getting rid of him just exercised all the demons, and all of a sudden they were back to being a playoff caliber team. That team sucked. All right, let's call a spade a spade. Browner committed more. I, I think at the by the end of the season, I guess I stopped paying attention. But at one point, he was on pace to be the most penalized player in NFL history for a single season. <laughs> it's you can't win football games when your number one cornerback is that guy. You can't do it. You know, there's uh, his scheme didn't work for those players. Their secondary as a whole regressed because Jarius Bird ate up all their cap room and just sucked the life right out of their franchise. I'm so glad he's not with the Bills. Oh, that guy. In fact, there's a there's a uh, Saints beat writer for Yahoo who wrote an article shortly after his the first season when they signed Jarius Bird. Basically just outlining the fact that he was going to be the death of the franchise. And everything that he said in his article has come to fruition. I can't remember the name now, but he flat out said because of his cap hits and because of what they had to do, who they had to get rid of and what they had to do to get him on the roster, they're just going to continue hemorrhaging players on down the line because they can't afford to keep anybody. All beca- And it all started with with uh, Jarius Bird. Well, just think back to when he left, how the community here felt that we were losing Jarius Bird. And he's done nothing in New Orleans. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's That was a good move by uh, Doug Whaley. His first season, when they sat him, he was the statistically the 63rd best safety in football before he got put on the IR. <laughs> <laughs> he sucks. So, also, unlike Rex Ryan, you were just talking about it, Rob Ryan, his defenses throughout the course of his career have been 
epically mediocre. None, none of them have ever really stood out, you know, and it makes me question what kind of value he brings. Like, what is it he's bringing to the table? What's his expertise? I mean, well, I don't, I don't know offhand. I didn't expect to be having this conversation today. So. Has he had the same amount of talent or anywhere near what he's going to be working with starting this offseason in Buffalo? Who's he had with his other defenses that are that are of any good? Has he ever had a D tackle? I mean, I don't know what he's doing with their de- defense. Is he D backs coach? Because we'd let go of Donnie Henderson. Well, well, no. So our D coordinator is being kind of shifted to be the D backs coach, and now Rex Ryan—he's a D coordinator now in name only because Rex Ryan and Rob Ryan are going to co-run the defense. I don't know if anyone else has ever paid any attention to other teams, college football, and I mean, in pro football, it's almost completely unheard of. When two coordinators try to run one aspect of the game, it usually doesn't go well. I'm not a fan of it. Not at all. Well, think of the the talent that we have. If he's working with their D-backs, has he ever Mm -hmm. had somebody as as good as Ron Darby and Stephon Gilmore? Right now, I'm looking at an article by Tyler Dunn from the Buffalo News, which is basically just a recap of, you know, the you know the twelve NFL defenses that he's been able to spearhead. Okay, <laughs> that's like a third of the NFL. Two thousand four Raiders thirtieth in total defense. Two thousand five Raiders twenty seventh in total defense. Two thousand six Raiders were third in total defense, but then the very next season the two thousand seven Raiders dropped to twenty second, and then the following year they were twenty seventh. And then in the Browns, 2009, 31st in total defense. The highlight, well, the highlight of that season is when Rex dressed up as Rob for the press conference. That was pretty great. Then he, the Browns proceeded to go 31st and 22nd in defense before he was fired there. Then he went to the Cowboys and was 14th and 19th in back-to-back years, 2011, 2012. 2013, he got the Saints to the fourth in total defense. That's where he got that job in five minutes. In the last two years, their defense has been the second worst in the NFL. So you have to question, was it just like first-year luck? Was it that those teams just had significantly better players, or is he just not that good at defense? I have no idea. He's not. His misses have been way more prevalent than his hits. I just it makes me question what kind of, what what his specialty is what what value is he bringing here other than just being born you know being born of the same family and last name as Rex. Yeah. Well, we have quality talent here up front on the back end. Our linebackers not so much. No, our linebackers are something we're definitely going to have to look into going into next season. And then my last question is just is. Is he here to, I mean, is this just nepotism at its finest? Is he just here to be a yes man and toe the line because his brother felt bad for him, wanted to get him off the couch and give him a job? Or you know, is he genuinely going to bring his own insight to the team? It's no, the, he has no insight. the biggest question to me. If he's not going to come to the table with anything new to offer and just is going to agree with Rex, whatever Rex wants to do, you know, and that move cost us one of the better D-backs coaches that we've had in recent history, I'm going to be pissed. I would be pissed too. I just we'll, I don't understand. Just wait until December when you know the Bills start doing community service stuff, mm-hmm. and Rob Ryan is chosen to play Santa Claus next December <laughs> at all Buffalo Bills events. Oh man! Some other big news this week going on in the NFL. I'm sure you guys are all aware of it. The St. Louis Rams are no longer the St. Louis Rams, and the Bills will be playing three games. Not two in California next year. Now, I'm going to take this in kind of an editorial spin, so you got to bear with me. Tuesday night, it gets announced that the St. Louis Rams would be heading back to L.A. after 21 years in St. Louis. Now, at first, I didn't know what to think about it, you know, other than just feel bad. You know, some genuine pity for the people who live in St. Louis. After all, I mean, before Terry Pagula purchased the team, we here in Buffalo, I mean, we were, we were all under the same threat of relocation. You know, it's a very, it was a very real threat to us and our football team. It was, it was good to watch this whole fiasco play out, knowing it wasn't going to be us. I don't know. I just, even thinking that, though, just, it just makes me sad. 
I mean, after listening to all the details and the reports and reading all the owner's quotes on the matter, I just I started to feel a certain kind of way, you know, because at first I just felt bad. You know, I went to I immediately went to TurfShowTimes.com, which is their the Rams SB Nation website and just the outpouring of every emo, every negative emotion you can imagine. And just seeing it. Th- I mean, this is a group of fans that are legitimately losing something that they love. And it's like a 50 50 split. You had half of them that were. You know, half of the fans are old school LA fans still. So they're excited that they're getting the, you know, they're getting their team back after 20 years. And on the other side, you've got this group of people who, you know, all they've ever known is the St. Louis Rams. Young young kids, young fans who grew up with this team and now fathers have to explain to their children why they can't go see the games anymore. Why they can't go tailgate anymore or, you know, they'll never be able to go see well from a Chris fan- Long play in person ever again or well, from a fan aspect of it, St. Louis is a better market than L.A. because L.A. is a transient city. Most people that live in L.A. are from somewhere else. So when the Steelers and Rams face off, there's going to be more Steeler fans there. Cowboys and Rams, there's going to be way more Cowboy fans than <clears throat> Ram fans. Even us, we play them next year. There's going to be way more Buffalo fans at that game than Rams fans. I don't know, but so after listening to all the details and reading all the reports and going over all the owner quotes and everything that came out of those meetings, I just, you start, I just started to feel a certain kind of way about things. I mean, here's a clip of you know from Colin Cowherd's show it, talking about Jerry Jones. I mean, come on. Of course, Los Angeles is going to get more chances. I mean, did you hear Jerry Jones yesterday when he was talking about Los Angeles? Listen to the owner of the Cowboys' voice when he was talking about Los Angeles. He was like frothing. It always was about Los Angeles and what Los Angeles and those great fans that we have out there mean to the NFL. And it's such a natural to have the Los Angeles Rams be in Los Angeles. Oh, he can't. He can't. Jerry couldn't say that with more elegance. Los Angeles. Los Angeles. (laughs) I mean, you could just every time he said it, Los Angeles. Los Angeles. (laughs) Nobody says Cleveland. What a smug bastard. That's spoken like a true asshole. So after, after sitting back and digesting all this, I realize that unfortunately for all of us who commit so much of our time and our passion and our money to this game, it's still a business. No one, no one knows or believes that more than Jerry Jones and Sam Cronkey. Knowing what I know about each one of those men, I'm not shocked to hear that they made the decision to strip a city that genuinely wanted to try and keep their sports team in pursuit of bigger TV contracts and more luxury boxes and more lucrative naming rights. More revenue. The draft in L.A., the combine in L.A. I will say, though, that I am surprised to hear owners ramble about it and just go on about it in such a cavalier way. It's frustrating. Jerry Jones right there sounds like a jackass. Don't to hear them talk about how great this is for the game of football. When in reality, the only people benefiting from this are the owners. You know, some of the players maybe you know who didn't like playing in St. Louis. You know, ah, it's cold here. We want to go to some bigger city with better nightclubs, kind of like Marshawn Lynch and Buff- the Marshawn Lynch Buffalo dynamic. But outside of that, who else wins? You and I, we don't win. Dallas fans, Jerry's constituency, they don't they don't win. Well, half the football fans in California. I mean, they've got three football teams. Most of those guys, those people don't benefit at all. And yet for for those people in St. Louis who've held season tickets, supported that team over the last 10 years when they've just been absolute crap. They've dug into their pockets and offered up tax dollars and offered up their own money in the form of merchandising and everything else to support Stan Kroenke and that whole organization, they just seem to have gotten lost in this shuffle, you know, the shuffle of shiny new stadiums and inflated TV deals and the NFL owners' paychecks. All of that was deemed more important than the fan base. And at the end of the day, life will go on. Money's the number one thing. Number so, one, money. So from me to you, sorry, St. Louis. All right. So let's cheer this thing up a little bit. Let's dig, since we didn't get a chance to earlier, let's recap that New York Jets game. All right. 
And I'm looking here at my outline and I'm, <laughs> I've got it labeled cold as f- because that's exactly what it was. That was our first, and I'm, I'm th- thankfully as you know, as a season ticket holder, this was our first game of the entire season that was just bitter, bitter cold. Usually we get one or two where the wind just cuts right through you, but this was the first one where I genuinely started to worry about how cold it was. And we started tailgating at quarter to six, and I lost feeling in my fingers and toes by about nine o'clock. And then you know by by nine thirty the beers you know they start they, they were flowing pretty well, and after that you stopped noticing it so much. You know we started playing beer ball and throwing a football around, getting moving. You know I I didn't realize how cold it was. We were playing beer ball, and I dove for a loose ball and jammed two of my fingers and didn't realize it until I got home and got in the shower and tried to warm up because it was so cold I couldn't feel my fingers to know how bad they hurt. That sucked. That aspect of this game couldn't have sucked more. Now, in the parking lot when we were tailgating, there was there was this pair of guys. I don't know where they came from, but they were fantastic. Running around the parking lot, one of them was dressed up with a Ron Burgundy-looking red blazer and had an American flag like he thought he was Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Sky rockets in flight. Afternoon delight. And I make fart noises with my mouth. And I like to cut. Hey, nutjob! Quit the singing! Creeping out all the regulars. I'm expressing my inner anguish to the majesty of song! That guy was on point. He and his partner, who was dressed in a full-on gorilla suit with a Kyle Williams jersey, proceeded to just run amok through the entire parking lot, just invading tailgates with just... I mean, it was like watching a cartoon. But they had jello shots. I mean, at one point, the gorilla climbed a tree and just opened up like a pouch in his suit and just started throwing everyone who was walking by jello shots and beating his chest. It was the greatest. It was one of the best things I've ever seen. It's going to go down to something that I don't think I'll ever forget. Not as good as the video on Deadspin of that dude jumping into a flaming table. At this what, point, what a way to end the season on at, Deadspin. At this point, Bills fans, I think, I think they've just grown accustomed to the, you know, I think they've just grown accustomed to the negative attention. So now they're all just acting out. I honestly, like, if anyone out there knows the guy, I'm sorry, but there's a part of me that kind of wanted to just watch him go up like the Human Torch. Don't be stupid. <laughs> the Darwin Awards. I'll see you there. Now, as far as the game goes, I don't care what the stats say, and I don't care. You know, you, know, you look at them. You look at a box score. Our cornerbacks played pretty damn well. McKelvin, as is his usual kind of a thing, he got worked by Brandon Marshall. I mean, there was a couple plays where he didn't even. Brandon Marshall's a big guy. I'd like to think that if I was, you know, standing next to or in the vicinity of a guy who's six foot three, I can at least locate him. At all time, like at least keep eyes on him and see him, even if he is running away from me. But there was a couple plays where McKelvin just completely lost him. It's it's not ha ha funny, but it's funny to see. And Nickel Roby, he was too small to stop him and Decker. I mean, there was a couple passes that they just threw right over the top of his head. But at the same time, the Bills' defense as a whole held Decker and Marshall to 13 catches for 176 yards and two touchdowns. Now, that seems like a poor job, but then you got to consider the fact that the rest of the team only caught three passes for five yards. I left the game very impressed with Mario Butler. Hello, I've never heard of you before. Who struggled early, but seemed to get better and better as the game went on. He had an awesome breakup towards my end zone on what could and should have been just a huge touchdown pass by Fitzpatrick to give the Jets the lead late in the game. This is that, that's a guy that, considering where we are with our cap and everything else, that all the other decisions we're going to have to make on players in our secondary, I'm going to be watching him going into next year because I want to see exactly how high this guy's ceiling can get if he gets consistent playing time. Well, who is he and where did he come from? Because I don't know who that is. <laughs> Mario Butler was a player that we added this past off season. He started out. I mean, at first he seemed like he was just going to be a camp body. Hey, we we brought him in. I mean, he's been around for a little while. He's twenty seven years old. It's not like he's. It's not okay. like he's a you know. Was a, he drafted a or undrafted? 
Well, I'm looking over his Wikipedia right now, and it seems that the Dallas Cowboys signed him as an undrafted free agent after the 2011 draft. And so then he's just been bouncing around from practice squad to practice squad ever since until he ended up with us in the offseason. I mean, he may not have the highest ceiling in the world, but at the same time, he also made some plays on Sunday that I thought were fantastic. Well, you wonder if he might be good in uh, certain packages. Well, exactly. Because we are stout with Gilmore and Darby on He's a big each pack, side. But, and he fits that mold of a big physical corner. He's six foot one, 194 pounds. He's not a small guy, so you almost wonder if he maybe couldn't come in and play some safety. Maybe just, I don't know. I think it, I think he's a versatile piece to have going into training camp next year. Our offensive line struggled to generate a push in the running game pretty much all day. Although you're playing the Jets, that's to be expected. I mean, according to Pro Football Focus, none of our offensive linemen finished the day with a positive grade. That right there tells you the story of how our day on the ground went. For anybody out there who has a beef with Marcel Darius, that guy played the last few drives of the game with a broken foot. Okay, he put he he put the team on his back. That pick that Manny Lawson that Manny Lawson got was a direct result of him just hammering Fitzpatrick in the backfield. And to know that he's doing this in a meaningless game while he's injured just speaks volumes to who he is and his character and what he's capable of doing in the right situations. I really don't think that the game was technically meaningless to us. Since Rex is a players considered a player's coach, you know that he got his players to play for him because he wanted to keep the Jets out of the playoffs. Well, yeah, but that's the thing that pisses me off about a lot of the things I see online. People talking about Mark Darius, like, oh, he got paid, and then he, you know, and then he stopped playing. It's hard to be as big of an impact player when you're being triple teamed because you've got Mario Williams on one side of the field just taking taking whole quarters off. Kyle Williams isn't there, and Jerry Hughes is trying his best to get around the left tackle. You can't do a whole lot at that point. I mean, you saw how we shut down Indomitian Sue that first time we played him. Most teams have spent the whole season just doing that to Marcel Darius. So to see him get in there and be, you know, and have an impact on a game like that, it was it was good. I don't have to sell his jersey yet. <laughs> Watching Sammy and Tyrod hook up like that all day long, just seemingly at will. That's what I want to see. It's what I want to see out of a receiver that we traded up, you know, gave up two first round picks for. Went from nine to four. Yeah. To draft them. I that's what I want to see out of these guys. That's that that might be one of my favorite takeaways of the whole season is that they finally, as the season wore on, Tyrod finally got comfortable with this idea because Tyrod is very much a quarterback. I've watched it over the course of the season. He's very much a quarterback that you know he if he doesn't see it and it doesn't look wide open, he's not going to throw it. It limits his mistakes, but it also it has it hurt us early on in the season because we there was a lot of plays there that maybe could have been made that we didn't. We didn't capitalize on simply because he wasn't comfortable throwing the ball, A, over the middle of the field, and B, to anyone he didn't see that was open, open. So then as the season went on, I think he got more and more comfortable with Sammy just to say, hey, hey, you're, you're matched up against Darrell Rivas, one of the best corners in the game. I'm just going to feed you this football because I trust the fact that even when you're covered, you're going to find a way to get the ball. And he took that to the tune of 11 catches and 136 yards. I didn't like it took almost half the season for Tyrod well, they didn't to play. gain that gain that trust in Sam where you just throw him the damn ball. They didn't get Sam to play it at all. They didn't get any practice time together at all in the preseason. So you can't really fault the guy. I mean, he threw 46 yards to the rest of the team. That's it's amazing, and I'll say this: NFL turning point. If anyone saw it, not this, not this week's, but last week's NFL turning point. They mic'd up Sammy for that last game, and they did a you know Bo's mic'd up player of the week. It was Sammy Watkins. If anyone you know, go out there and find it, I urge you to go find it online somewhere because it was fantastic to see. Not only did he execute per, you know almost perfectly all day long. But there's just moments throughout the game where you saw that he wasn't it wasn't just lip service when he called out players on the team and when he talked about needing to step up and needing to be, you know, needing to be a leader for the team, that it wasn't just lip service. You know, at one point, a guy comes over and offers him a coat 
you know, a jacket because it's freezing out. And he's standing there on the sidelines with just like a long sleeve shirt under his jersey. And the guy comes up to him with a jacket and he's like, nah, get that off me. I don't need it. He's jogging in place, talking to these other guys about being tough. And then at one in the third quarter, Chris Hogan had a big drop on third down. And afterwards they're standing there and he's coaching chris hogan through how he's like oh you know the ball's coming in like this you gotta you know showing him how to how he needs to place his hands to catch the way tyrod throws it that's the type of stuff you want to see from a guy who three weeks ago was complaining about a vacuum of leadership on this team you know he's putting his money where his mouth is and i for one am in love with it and then tyrod taylor he had a subpar day i mean outside of sammy watkins he got a rushing touchdown you know, busted coverage. The Jets linebackers forgot that. The, I, I guess the Jets linebackers on that one play just forgot that Tyrod Taylor can run. And the safeties just completely. Just, one of the safeties stood there and watched. It, <laughs> he just stood there and watched it happen. But outside of that, he didn't really do a whole lot. I mean, I, I will say that he had a lot of third down conversions to that. Um, What's it? Greg Salas. Sure. <laughs> no, Whoever he was a that, for, sure. former, former Jets wide receiver. We brought him in. This is only a second game with the team. And, I mean, he's a bigger guy. He's never been a burner. He's just been kind of special teams and, like, fifth receiver for the Jets for years. And in two games of playing with him, Tyrod found him, I think, two or three times on third and, you know, third and intermediate, third and long for conversions. That's good because I think it shows that Tyrod's getting more comfortable in the offense as a whole. You know, I think that... He's now going out there and saying, okay, it doesn't matter about the personnel anymore. I'm just going to go out there and the play is the play, and I'm going to throw the football and just trust that that guy can go make a play. That brings us to our hero and zero of the week. Now, last week, obviously, our hero of the week award goes to Sammy Watkins. So that is why I am better than everyone in the world. Kiss my and suck my everyone. Sammy was the best player in a Bills uniform against the Jets, bar none. I already just hashed it to death, so we're not going to go into it too much more. For zero of the week, I hate to do this because it's a deviation from things, but I'm giving my zero of the week to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fool this man! As a former Buffalo Bill, I thought it was fitting to include him in this. For every Jets fan out there all season long who told me that Chan and Fitzy finally had it figured out and that they were confident that this is the guy, this is a guy we can win with, he's going to take us to the promised land, I just, I just laughed and laughed and laughed. So even as they're on the cusp of making the playoffs, I didn't buy it. And I was rewarded for my extreme lack of faith with three game-losing interceptions in the fourth quarter in a game that all you have to do is win the game and you walk into the playoffs. It couldn't have happened to a better franchise. So that's it. That's the end, boys and girls. We've come to the end of the 2014-2015 Buffalo Bills season. It's, it's been a ride left us kind of in a familiar position we're gonna finish up the uh end of the season rock pile report here with a season recap and we're gonna start it off with the uh the tail of the tape on the 2015 buffalo bills how about this i have right here those are my picks that i made and i went each game two i predicted a 10 and 6 season and then with guessing all of the games I went eight and eight. Ooh. The the a gentleman I used to work with that I had him fill this out too. He predicted that we went that we go eleven and five. Mm-hmm. And with picking the games, he went eleven and five. Well, let's run down the 2015 Buffalo Bills by the numbers. Finished with an eight eight and eight record that was good for third place in the AFC East and eighth in the AFC division as a whole. Our offense scored 379 points, good for 23.7 points per game, which averages up to 12th in the NFL. And our defense allowed 359 points to the tune of 22.4 points per game, which is 15th. So we're 12, we were 12th in scoring. We were 15th in defense, 8-8 eight eight record. That just screams mediocrity. Average. 
Well, how about the, where are we picking in April yeah. or May? That, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. 17 players finished the season for the Buffalo Bills on injured reserve. Is that a record? No, surprisingly. We finished the season with a 5-3 and three home record and were eliminated from postseason play after a Week 15 loss to the Redskins away. It's a lot. It's a lot to look at when you just stare at the numbers because those aren't even those numbers. All of the numbers right there tell you that this team wasn't a playoff football team. If I showed you, if I had showed you those numbers before week one of this season, none of you would have believed me. But at the same time, it could, you could flip those statistics. You could say we only scored 350 points per game and that we were 12th in defense and 15th in scoring and you still wouldn't have believed it because everyone thought that this defense was going to be much better than it was. I think if you read me what Tyrod's final numbers were and you told me that in September, I would have been like, oh, that's we're definitely a playoff team. No, 100%. If you told me that Tyrod Taylor would come out looking like a real quarterback, I would have told you that this season would have ended a lot different than it did. But that brings us to the recap. I've broken this down into two categories, okay? We're going to start off with all of the reasons that the 2015 Buffalo Bills have driven me to drink. You drunk? No. But this ought to do it. Let's get this party started. First off, we are still the owners of the longest active playoff drought in the NFL. It's 16 years. 16 years. God damn it. We finished 31st in sacks with 21 after leading the NFL with 54 last year. You scare me. You're an alcoholic. We got swept by the Patriots for another season. One more year of them. We we come so close. And yet they still have us. And I don't understand it. Well, week two was an absolute no contest. We lost by eight. No, we got work the entire game. Mm. Score doesn't say everything that happened that, that week. How about this? Here, bottoms up. We had a one in three record against one of the worst divisions in football in the NFC East. Seriously, you are an alcoholic. Mounting number of injuries that we had to deal with that just completely watered down our talent pool. I mean, at one point, we had to start ooh, Kevin Reddick at linebacker. A.J. Tarpley. A.J. Tarpley. If it wasn't for the fact that he... Re- he re- Everyone in my section looked at me after just, after just dogging A.J. Tarpley. Everyone, when he got that game-sealing interception, everyone's like, oh, what about Tarpley now? I stick by the fact that he sucks. He's a scrub. Even a broken clock's right twice a day. How about how about this? Another reason to sit back and just chug a cold one and try to forget the season that was. The regression of Mario Williams. He had five sacks and fifteen tackles. He's gonna get cut. He has to get cut. We can't we can't afford that type of the lack of production. We just can't. There's no two ways about it. And then given his problems down the stretch and his his own festivus that he threw with his airing of grievances about he didn't like this and this isn't his job and everything. If, if you don't if you're not in, then get out. We'll cut him and then he'll sign in Atlanta. <laughs> One can only hope you heard it here first. Mario Williams gets cut signs in Atlanta. Then we all have to look back on the failed development of the offensive line. Specifically speaking, Henderson and Quanjo. Those are two players that Henderson was a seventh round pick, but they made him the starter. And he, I mean, he was one of the last in his position, according to Pro Football Focus, but we still kept him on as a starter. Cyrus Quanjo was a second round pick who they thought could overcome his. Bust. Bust. One of our position coaches during training camp called him Venus DeMilo. 
and kicked him off the practice field and made him go run sprints. That's how <laughs> that's how bad Cyrus Quan fix your mic. I can't. I'm getting I'm getting fired up over here, people. I'm breaking stuff. It just drives me crazy because when you invest a second round pick and a seventh round pick, and when you put draft capital into a position, you assume that those players will turn into something. Now it looks like both of them could be replaced completely from our roster going into next year. Henderson lost his job after he came back from illness, couldn't get it back from Jordan Mills. Mills was just a guy on the scrap heap that Aaron Cromer knew and had to get him off the couch. And the fact that Henderson couldn't get past him and get his job back, that's... Oh, God. Where's my beer? How about this? We got a real poor return on some of that free uh, that free agent money we threw around. How about this? Charles Clay, 51 receptions, 528 yards, three touchdowns. Finished the season on injured reserve. Harvin, 19 receptions, 218 yards, one touchdown. In week one. Finished the year on injured reserve. Jerome Felton, I don't know what his stats are because I don't know if he ever actually played. He did miss some blocks. I've seen that's that was his failure this year. I didn't see him in some games miss some easy blocks on third and two, third and one. Yeah, but short it's, yarded stitches. Well, because it, it's like running back. It's one of those positions where it's a rhythm game. You have to really get out there and get used to it. And the fact is, we just didn't use him. We just didn't use him enough to make it worth him being on the payroll. So I don't know why they made a big deal about going out and getting a fullback. If you're just if you're not going to game plan to use a fullback, then why pay to have one on the roster? At that point, I'll go out there and play fullback. How about that? Drew Gear will suit up and play fullback for the 2016 Buffalo Bills. Well, if you want to, for as often as he as I'm actually going to have to go out there. In the well, field. if you want to get a job in football nowadays, is to get an Instagram account and stand outside <laughs> the uh, the offices with a with a homeless sign. God, who was that? Some dude that signed with the Jets practice squad, and I think there was somebody else did it this year too. God. Uh, and then I've saved the best for last. Bring it to my collection of lowest, my personal lowest points of the season. It all. St- I, I I think it's tough, but we're going to start this off with the loss in London to Jacksonville. Thank you, sir. But I fear inebriation may cause me to forget my manners in such fine company. I'm glad that at least two-thirds of our country tuned in to see what we get to watch every week. With this garbage loss to a football team, we cemented our position in the basement of the AFC East. The Jaguars wouldn't have been up if E.J. Manuel didn't decide to spot them 20 points. 20 points. You scare me. You're an alcoholic. EJ, if you if someone puts this in your ear, if you get to hear this somewhere, hang yourself. Sincerely, Drew Gear. Seriously, you are an alcoholic. But they have to fire someone in the coaching staff to send a message to this football team. They have to. It's the only way to get it back. And even then, I don't know that we're, we're not a playoff team. We're not. If we're going to lose to the 1-5 Jacksonville Jaguars... Spot them 20 points and then still find a way to piss away a f- lead to them. Hopefully it's Dennis Thurman. I'm sorry, but I've never seen somebody do so little with so much. That guy's a f- ass. Yeah, you're drunk. I knew it. I'm sorry. Matt Hasselbeck played as a backup with a dog defense and managed to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars and somehow the Bills couldn't do it. You know, you're in no you're in no condition to, to deal with this right now. I don't so- give a f- for your listening pleasure, that was my post-game tirade. Just drunken Drew Gear with a microphone in his face, stream of consciousness style. Oh, Christ. If I can uh, just take the wheel for a second, uh, just to my telephone. Ben McAdoo takes over for Tom Coughlin as coach of the New York Giants. Oh, good. To hell with the New York Giants. That leads directly into my second lowest point of the season. E.J. Manuel showing that he has not grown enough as a quarterback in three seasons to even be trusted to be a backup. Think about how many backups across the NFL this year had to play and actually won football games. 
AJ McCarron did it. You just spoke Landry, of it in that mo- in montage. Yep. Matt Hasselbeck. Landry Jones. There's a lot of players who had to come in and play backup quarterback this season. And a lot of them won football games. And yet somehow we have one that was drafted in the first round who can't help but spot the other team points at will. McCarron and uh, Landry Jones, all those are two mid-round picks. It's unbelievable. I know, Kevin Hogan. Then we move straight to Leotis McKelvin's fumble in Foxborough. What? <laughs> what an idiot. Oh, what a loser. The joke's on everybody else in Buffalo because Leotis McKelvin already saw this coming. So you know what he did? He moved into a condo that doesn't have a front yard. So you can't spray paint wieners on it now. Take that, Buffalo. <laughs> oh, God. Then the Bills seemingly just seeming inability to circle the wagons, which, you know, nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Not this team. Are, there were, even when we were down by a single score in the fourth quarter, we just, so many games, couldn't find a way to get over that hump. We would usually just do something stupid, like run the ball twice for three yards, then throw an incomplete pass and punt, and then the other team just runs the clock out on us. God. And then, probably the most frustrating, the one where I was so angry that I wasn't, I felt nothing. Back-to-back losses to the NFC East of all divisions to eliminate us from playoff contention. Oh, no! We suck again! It was unbelievable. I just shut the... It's one of those things where you're so angry, you don't know how to process it all, so you just feel numb. I just felt numb. I was watching the Carolina... The Carolina and New York Giants game for most of the afternoon because I was just so numbed by what I was seeing. I couldn't... I I just couldn't watch that Bills game. It was unbelievable. All right, is everybody, anybody out there still with me? Have you all just, or have you all just turned it off? (laughs) Maybe you're skipping forward. Maybe you're all just completely writing me off as some kind of a crackpot. Now we're going to get into all of the reasons why I think there's hope going into the 2016 season. Is anybody who stuck with me, you're in for a real treat. (laughs) If there's any optimists left out there. First off, the 2015 Buffalo Bills posted a winning a winning record within the division at 4 and 2. We swept the Dolphins and the Jets. That for me makes the season a success cuz I hate Miami with a burning passion. Anytime we sweep the Dolphins, it's an excellent season for me. Those are two teams that are now because of their poor play in flux. You've got one team that's got to get a new head coach. They have to completely rebuild their offensive line. They have no linebacking core to speak of. Well, the Dolphins hired Adam Gaze. Mm-hmm. So can we get Dan Campbell somewhere on our staff? And then you've got the Jets. Who Who's going to be their quarterback? Fitzpatrick was on a one-year deal. Are they going to retain him? Probably. Do, do you trust him? Look no. at the way it ended. Do no. you trust him? Uh, I no. think it'd be the best. It would be a if they do. I'll celebrate it. I'll celebrate the hire. I don't. I don't trust. I, I trust that they would re-sign Fitzpatrick and then draft a quarterback to eventually take over. Mm-hmm. But you got Chan and Fitz. They love each other. Well, I'll also say that this was our first year under new head coaching staff. Considering all of the things that went wrong, all of the things that could have, you know, that should have gone differently, we still finished eight and eight. That's fairly impressive. Okay, there's growing pains, and there's room for growth, obviously, in a lot of phases of the game. Special teams, offense, defense, every unit has a way to improve, has a place or a way that they need to improve. But at the same time, it's there. You know, the, if this is our floor, because I don't see them regressing from this point. So if that's the case, then if this is their floor, I'll take it. This was the Bills' best record in the first year of a new head coach since Mike Malarkey went 9-7 and seven in God, 2004. Don't bring a Mike Malarkey to me. 
That's and then bu- you had Jerron. That's a bunch of malarkey. Jerron went seven and nine his first year. Gailey went four and twelve in his first year. Marone went six and ten in his first year. I mean, we talk about room for growth. Another statistic I'll throw at you, another reason for hope. Five of our eight losses were by eight points or less. It's the equivalent of a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Defense, any improvement by our defense, which literally was the epitome of mediocre. In a 32-team league, we finished 15th. Any improvement in that number could probably turn at least two of those losses into wins and gets us into the playoffs. Right or wrong? No, we could, there, there are a lot of games this year that we lost that I don't think we should have. We were there in the fourth quarter. We had an opportunity to go. And it seems game. like it's been like that maybe for the last five years in a row. Mm-hmm. There's maybe three games that you could point to that you could say we should have had that. You know, Tyrod Taylor plays against Jacksonville. We should have had that. We were mm-hmm. we dominated Kansas City in the first quarter and we couldn't sustain that lead. Nope, should have had that one. I think for a growing football team, these are things that we can point to as signs that we're trending in the right direction. I mean, how about this? We had the number one rushing attack in the NFL, even with an offensive line that not only had to shuffle pieces around and we had guys, Craig Urbic was our starting guard for how many games? And yet we posted the number one rushing attack. Chantrell Henderson was involved. And yet we had the number one rushing attack in the NFL. Any Again, any sort of improvement to that offensive line does nothing but bode well for us. Yeah, we'll see what we do when the draft gets here. And uh, I don't even know what offensive linemen are available in free agency. See, I don't think free agency is the route you want to go with this, though. Who is that dude, Williams, that we signed in two years ago? I think it was Chris Williams. Oh, yeah, Chris Williams. I forgot. See, you're bringing up things that are like, I've tried to block this stuff out. All right, man? You're killing me. He played like three games and went to IR, and then we cut him. That guy sucked. He was a fat mess. I'm glad he's gone. I hope he's sleeping behind a dumpster somewhere. (laughs) But we did get good production from our draft class this year. Oh, yeah. Next point. Surprising production from this year's draft class. Everyone, I was at a, I was on a kayaking trip the weekend of the draft. I watched the first round. I left that Friday morning, and I didn't turn my cell phone on again until probably about 3 o'clock on Sunday morning when I made it back to camp. I was just inundated with text messages from people about this year's draft class. Just complaining about, oh, we took a cornerback, we took some no-name guy, blah, 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 blah. No one knows who Ron Darby is. I knew who Ron Darby was. But at the same time, I didn't expect that to be the pick because Darby didn't jump off. He wasn't a player in college. He was solid. He didn't jump off the page at you. He didn't, you know, there wasn't anything statistically about him or anything else other than that he seemed to be a lockdown corner. He didn't put up any eye-popping plays. So to see him drafted that high was kind of a surprise. It that, was. That is the one position on the football field where you can never have enough at that position. And I'll tell you, he shocked everybody. Shocked everybody with his play. I think even the coaching staff was surprised because you know, Doug Whaley can't stand in front of me and tell me that he knew Ron Darby was going to be that good when he took him. So, and then John Miller, you got a starting right guard in the third round. And then Carlos Williams, you know, the, the pro football focus did a, you know, the guy, they're, they're analytics guys. They did a report about how the Buffalo Bills might have gotten the best draft value. You know, not so much the best picks in the draft, but the best overall draft value for the number of picks that we had. Because we found three guys who were, you know, it's, Two of whom were starters week one, and one of whom went on to produce nine touchdowns in his rookie season. I mean, his statistics, he, the yardage wasn't there, but touchdown-wise, he was right up there with Todd Gurley. That's impressive. Right behind Gurley. Considering that he's a fifth-round draft pick, that's, that's huge. Yeah. 
So, I mean, the, the draft, if we can pull off something similar this year, I don't know how we, you know, that sets us up for success. Having successful drafts and knowing that you have a scouting department and a GM who can find these types of players gives us all kinds, it should give us all kinds of confidence going then, into next season. Plus, with the rookie wage scale, mm-hmm. it gives you more flexibility with your cap. Absolutely. And then the successes of some of our new free agents. Not everyone did as badly, you know, and they had their seasons end as poorly as Charles Clay and Percy, Percy Harvin. Incognito, McCoy, Taylor. These are guys who stepped Incog- up and became. Incognito is the, the best part of our offensive line. <laughs> Those three guys came in here off the street in moves that got panned by a lot of people. You know, people pet, oh, McCoy, an old running back, he gave him all this, blah, 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 for Kiko Alonso. Well, guess what? Kiko Alonso didn't turn Philly's defense into world beaters. Okay? And Incognito, was he, he was on the street when we found him. Yeah, it, He's a nice redemption story. And the fact that he was playing at a Pro Bowl level when he got suspended for all that, that just, you know... It says everything you need. It seems he picked right up where he where he left off. And then Tyrod Taylor, we don't even need to go into that. That brings me to the highest points of the season. Okay? So everyone, if you're still listening out there, grab a beer and reminisce with me, my friends. We're going to start off with Incognito. Pro Bowl caliber play for the majority of the season. Okay? The Pro Bowl list has some solid players on it. I can't say that they didn't pick a lot of quality players for the Pro Bowl. But I think a guard that was involved in the you know the best guard on the team with the number one rushing attack in the NFL deserved a little bit more consideration here. I do. That's my that's my opinion. Then we've got Tyrod Taylor. Okay, he was a he was a gold star on our season. Ranked by Pro Football Focus as the tenth best quarterback of 2015. He had the seventh highest QBR per ESPN, and he set franchise records for his turnover margins. You had a guy who could make plays when there was no plays there. And as the season progressed, started to get more comfortable in the offense and get more comfortable with the ideas behind playing quarterback. The concept of, I have a phenomenal wide receiver. I'm just going to start trusting him to do his job rather than just having to see it in order to throw it. I think that Tyrod Taylor did wonderful for his first year as a starter in Protecting the football mm-hmm. with his turnovers. He only had like what, like six or seven interceptions all year? Mm-hmm. Hey. You would have told me that in September. We should have been a playoff team by that. Mm-hmm. Ron Darby, another high point in the season for me. Something that I'll look at and you know it makes me smile when I watch the playoffs and we're not in it. Named runner-up for rookie of the year behind Jameis Winston by Pro Football Focus. He was defensive rookie of the month in September you know, from NFL.com. And he is a second round pick. He looks to be a solid contributor moving forward. If we can see progression out of him and retain Gilmore, we might just have those two lockdown corners that every Rex Ryan defense that's been any good seems to have. That's huge. Considering that we didn't have a first round pick in that draft and came out with a quality player who's going to have a long-term role on this team. I would say quality players. Yeah, Darby, Miller, and Williams. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the draft was definitely a, definitely a high point. And then we're left with some genuinely satisfying wins. Okay, think back to Week One with the Colts. That fourth and goal. I don't care if the Colts got the touchdown and we didn't preserve the shutout. Fourth and goal. I've never heard Ralph Wilson Stadium that loud. It was the weather was beautiful. The crowd was just pumped up. It was deafening. It was incredible to just be there and be a part of that. Looking back on that game against the Colts, it's not that satisfying of a win to me based on their what their season was. Because directly after the game, it was like we just pounded well, yeah. the Colts, who were in the AFC Championship game last year. The game itself might not have been the focal point for me. I really think that there was moments in that game that were just fantastic. Watching... Andrew Luck tried to pick on Ron Darby deep in his very first pro game and just get picked. He just hawked him. He came back, reverse direction, saw that he tracked that ball well enough in the air as a rookie playing his first NFL game to know that he underthrew that ball. I'm going to stop running and trust that I can get it before the wide receiver. 
before the wide receiver can catch me and break it up. It just, like I said, the, just the atmosphere at that game was so, it was just incredible to be a part of. I'll remember that for a long time. Also, the Dolphins games. The first game, we just go down there, we just go down there and stomp a mud hole, Stone Cold Steve Austin style in these guys. Wait, Huge wait, plays was, from both the offense and the defense. Yeah, what was your term from, <laughs> I believe it was, you used it week one against the Colts. We curb stomped them. We curb stomped those guys in front of their home fans. And then to watch them come here and be at the back of the end zone, swapping tickets with a guy and being at the back of the end zone when Carlos Williams comes running in the corner for that touchdown and just seeing how we just dominated them. Just dominated them. Offense, defense, no one could cover Sammy Watkins. Just watching from about what felt like 15 feet away. It's probably more like 150, but watching Jerry Hughes just run in and strip the ball on <laughs> that drive when we had to get a stop. It, it those those two games were you know you leave you walk away from those games with a genuinely good feeling in your stomach. And then the Jets, primetime football in New York, huge stage. You know everyone in the country is watching, and your team just goes out. And in the first half, just throttles the Jets. That would have been awesome if Tyrod and Sammy connected on that. Uh, oh, the opening, opening pass would have been play. fantastic. But just seeing how we went out there and just shut their offense down. And then in the second half, even when they started making the comeback, knowing in the back of your head that there's, it's still, it's still it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Still fits. It's still fits. See, that fourth in the fourth and three. Where they throw the little flare into the into the flat with um, Marshall and with Darby. Brandon Marshall and Darby just tackles him to the ground. It's a guy twice his size, literally almost twice his size, and just takes him down to the ground and you know gets the ball back for us. It's just and those then, and, and then, then the this finale, game, the, the finale, finale with the multiple fourth quarter interceptions when it yeah. really mattered. Rex still keeping the Jets out of the playoffs. <laughs> it just. At least you know that you're not going to be. We won't lay down for anybody like that. We're not going to lay down for the Jets at any point. Knowing that we have a coach who can rile up a bunch of guys who weren't half the half of our starting roster wasn't on the it wasn't with the team on week one. But at the same time, he found a way to get those guys riled up enough to go out there and take a bunch of no name players and go out and beat the Jets and keep them from just waltzing into the playoffs. That will be my final just savory moment from this NFL season was the day that we ruined the playoffs for the Jets. Kyle, if you're out there and you're listening to this, I'm sorry, brother, but I'm not sorry. Ha <laughs> ha! So that's it, folks. That has been our 2015 NFL football season for the Buffalo Bills here. I'll tell you what we're going to do. The Rock Pile Report, we're going to be switching up our format a little bit. And we're going to record on a bi-weekly basis moving forward. We will not shut down during the off-season. I don't shut down for any man. Not now, not ever. As long as there's beer and there's football news out there somewhere, you bet your ass, I'll be here talking about it. We're going to do a postseason, kind of a pre-Super Bowl wrap-up in two weeks kind of go over what went on in the playoffs we're going to talk about the upcoming super bowl matchup and then from there heading on out we're going to keep an eye towards the draft you know upcoming roster moves and all of these other things that are going to start you know slowly trickling in as the weeks go on and as the offseason progresses i encourage everybody out there to follow us on twitter at rockpile report and if you have something you want to talk about, you know, if you want have a point you want discussed or if you've got predictions on the first round draft, I know we're going to be opening up a lot of different things. So keep the emails and keep the tweets coming. Yeah, well, you can reach us at rockpilereport716 at gmail.com. Yeah, Drew, you'll be doing a bunch of draft stuff, mock drafts. We'll get, we'll get Kyle Smith on from AFC East Bros. Again, during the draft, we'll have uh, more time to uh, get Greg Torlone on again. Um, and we got the we got divisional games coming up this week for the uh, NFL playoffs. Do you think the Patriots are going to repeat Super Bowl champions? I don't think that they're healthy enough. 
I just don't see the team as being healthy enough to pull this thing off because if the Chiefs play the way, I mean, their defense was sound. That's why they spanked them. Their offense, their offense played well, but they beat Houston because their defense was solid. They didn't give up any. They didn't give up too many big plays. And Tom Brady's got a bum ankle, bruised ribs. Their offensive lines all beat up. I just think that this is a very fair matchup, and I'm going to be rooting for Kansas City. Well, I kind of tend to think that the uh, New England Patriots uh, will pull off a repeat. I, I don't think we're talking about a repeat, a three-peat, or even a four-peat. It's right. We're talking a minimum eight-peat. God, <laughs> you dug that one. You dug deep for that one. Oh, my God. I can only pray to God that this, that before this postseason ends, the Patriots lose. I can't, I can't watch them put up another Lombardi. I can't yeah, well, do it. Uh, if we're going to come back on the 27th of the podcast, then uh, – That'll be uh, leading into the Super Bowl if they're doing uh, two weeks, a two-week break for the yep. Super Bowl. Yep. 27th, yep, and the championship weekend will just end, so we'll have a- And if the Patriots are in it, I can guarantee you all I'm going to drink half a bottle of Knob Creek before we do the next recording. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, from, from the bottom of my heart, I want to say that I appreciate everyone who goes out of their way to listen to me sit here with a beer in my hand ramble about the Bills. You guys are awesome. You know, the support's been great. And, you know, just all the different people we've met. Spread the word. All the people that we've met. You know, Kyle Smith and uh, Numb Bills fan and some other guys who do some. Bills and beers. Guys who do some really great podcasts. You know, if, if you guys are into that. Go check them out. I strongly urge you to do it. They're a bunch of great guys. And I look forward to getting back together with you guys soon. We're out of time. So I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger, and this has been the Rockball Report.